Hey, pull up a chair. It's Hacks on Tap with David Axelrod, Robert Gibbs, and Mike Murphy. We must know what happened here at the Capitol. We must also know what happened every minute of that day in the White House. Every phone call, every conversation, every meeting, leading up to, during, and after the attack. Honorable men and women have an obligation to step forward. If those responsible are not held accountable, and if Congress does not act responsibly, this will remain a cancer on our constitutional republic, undermining the peaceful transfer of power at the heart of our democratic system. That was Representative Liz Cheney of Wyoming, who, oddly in the current Republican conference, remembers the oath she took to the Constitution at the January 6th committee hearings that opened today. Axe, how are you doing? A big day in American history as we look at the painful events of January 6th to this committee. No, I'm doing well, brother, but uh, I listened to some of that testimony this morning, and it was uh, it was searing, and it no more than to... Our guest today, Jackie Combs, who spent uh, 13 years up there on Capitol Hill covering uh, the Hill for the Wall Street Journal, one of the great scribes in that town, now a a newly minted uh, Washington columnist for the LA Times and author of a pretty relevant book, Dissent, the Radicalization of the Republican Party and its Capture of the Court. It's about the uh, Kavanaugh confirmation, but it's about a lot more than that, Jackie. Good to see you. Thank you. It's so great to be here. I walk with you guys almost every night when I listen to your podcast, so it's really odd to be on with you. Yeah, I can see your feet moving here on Zoom, so uh, <laughs> exactly, yes, you're falling into habits here, but welcome. Nice gym shoes. 10,000 steps. Talk about your feelings as you heard these officers testify, because it brought back really vividly that day, I mean, in, in, through the eyes of people whose lives were uh, very much on the line. You know, when I was watching it in real time, because I wasn't on the Capitol uh, grounds on January 6th, that was my virtual office for 13 straight years. And those cops, like 150 of them, squared off against more than 9,000 insurrectionists. And I just thought of the Capitol policemen I knew and talked to every single day at the doors, including the ones for each of my pregnancies that bought me baby gifts. And I still have the Raggedy Ann and Andy that I was given for my oldest daughter. And it's just, it. I, I got, I teared up this morning, just as the officers did listening to them describe their experiences. Harry Dunn being called a fucking nigger. Am I allowed to say that on yeah, your show? Here you can, in that context, yep. And um, Officer Hodges describing seeing his colleagues hit with cattle prods of all things and you know not to mention flagpoles these alleged patriots hitting the party from the party of law enforcement hitting policemen with the flagpoles of the united states i mean how can you not be um affected by that and yet 50 percent of the country and 70 percent of one of our two major parties is not affected by this does not believe. That's really a question for us hacks, which is um, what, what should this mean, but what does it mean? But before we get there, just on your point, there was a, 
bite from one of the officers that really brought home the point you made about the law enforcement and holding the line there and what was going through his mind. So, Jeff, why don't you cue that up? There are some who express outrage when someone kneels while calling for social justice. Where are those same people expressing the outrage to condone, condemn the violence attack on law enforcement, the capital, in our American democracy? I'm still waiting for them. So, Murphy, that actually was a very affecting, I thought, comment by that officer. But take off your soft and patriotic side and put on your crusty hack hat. Um, and <laughs> what what does that what does that mean? What does it well, all? What a, does this mean? I know what it should mean. We all should be alarmed. Yeah, no, we all agree on what it should mean. It was an attack on the center of our democracy. And just to amplify something Jackie said, if you if you haven't been part of the Capitol Hill ecosystem, you don't really know that those cops are Capitol Hill's Mayberry. And it's a small town. And although it, people kind of fight for a living in front of the cameras, they coexist. There are a lot of friendships. And the cops are part of it. You get to know them as people uh, over the years there. So this thing was a blistering attack on on that community, too. And I think behind all the, the kabuki theater and partisanship, even on a lot of the Republican elected side, uh, seeing those that testimony is going to string a chord because they know those people as humans, and it was pretty horrible. Now, uh, aside from the uh, how I feel about it, I think how most of us do, I would have said the politics of this, the impact going forward, wearing my hat, fedora, would be muted because we live in an age where both sides, the, the partisans on both sides believe the other side is evil. So minds don't change much. But I do think Kevin McCarthy, the Republican leader, has made a blunder. And part of what we're going to see on television over the next few days starting today is going to help the Democrats break this thing through a little bit. One, obviously, people are sympathetic to policemen. Their story needs to be told. It'll have an impact. It did today. Second, the fact that Adam Kinzinger of Illinois and Liz Cheney of Wyoming, and we opened with a soundbite from her, are on the committee while McCarthy walked the rest of the Republicans away. His strategy was obvious. Oh, it's all partisan. We won't be part of this scam. It's all kabuki theater. But having two credible Republicans, and in particular Cheney, who has five-star gold conservative credentials, Having the courage, which you know should not be a rare thing, I think, in our elected, so it appears to be, to tell the truth there undermines this Republican charge of it's all a scam. And so now McCarthy's walked away and is in a corner. And I think the bipartisan nature of the committee and the fact that they're going to uncover the truth, which people already suspect – is going to be pretty powerful politically. Ultimately, will it be as powerful in the elections as the economy and things like that? No. But I think this could be a moment where we break the partisan fog and people register just how bad this is, and there could be electoral consequences for it. So it's going to have a bigger impact than I suspected, but I would still say not a huge earth-shaking impact on on politics going forward. Sadly, I I agree with you, but it was striking yesterday to see – Jackie, uh, Kevin McCarthy, I don't know, I don't think we have this sound, at the White House, ironically, uh, talking to reporters and describing Kinzinger and uh, Cheney as Pelosi Republicans, you know, es- essentially hanging the uh, the scarlet P on them for participating in this process. 
And so which side is making this a partisan activity? I mean, I think he answered the question there. I, you know, speaking of McCarthy, I thought one of the more significant portions of Officer Harry Dunn's testimony this morning was when he recalled, he quoted directly from Kevin McCarthy's remarks on January 6th in the immediate aftermath of the insurrection, when McCarthy sounded as if he was as outraged and willing to get to the bottom of this as any other American. And he called it, and Harry Dunn quoted McCarthy calling it the saddest day of his life, just as Harry Dunn said it was for all of the police officers who tried to defend the Capitol. And you got to wonder, what is, how does McCarthy feel about that? You know, uh, uh, Harry Dunn went on to say that January 6th still isn't over for me. He's getting therapy, both individual and group therapy, still for the trauma he suffered. And he described colleagues who are doing the same. Yeah. And the second, the second thing Harry Dunn did is he referred in the real time of the insurrection when he was nearly collapsed from exhaustion of trying to fight off the insurrectionists. And Representative Rodney Davis, the Republican, found him and hugged him. Now, this is the same Rodney Davis who was one of Kevin McCarthy's Republican appointees to the bipartisan commission right. for January 6th. And yet, when Pelosi removed yeah, the anarchist. The, the anarchists from the two Republicans and McCarthy pulled all the rest. Congressman Rodney Davis didn't object. He could have protested. He could have said something. I mean, I just can't believe that Rodney Davis doesn't object to being pulled, would, would like to be on this committee. Well, he might like to be on it, but, you know, uh, the courage is in short supply here and exactly. fear is a, a stride. You say, McCarthy said it was his saddest day. And then he realized when he went home right. that his saddest day was ahead of him if he weren't, if he, if another Republican got elected Speaker of the House instead of him. And he promptly got on a plane and went down to Mar-a-Lago and made up with Donald Trump, who would not call off the attack, uh, on the Capitol. Uh, you know, this is, this is very simple. I mean, they did not want this. Uh, they did not want a 9-11 style commission and they didn't want this because the conclusions are going to be brutal uh, for Trump. And yeah, I, I, Kevin McCarthy needs Trump. Yeah, no, Kevin McCarthy is afraid if you get to the bottom of it, it's going to land land in a few wackadoodle members of his own conference, I think. And he doesn't want to irritate Trump. He's a coward uh, about that, both politically and, you know, in every other moral dimension. I'll, I'll just defend Rodney Davis a little bit. He's one of the good guys on this, on the Republican scale, which I admit is a muted scale, and he's clearly afraid to buck the leadership, but he voted right on it. And if he was on the committee, I think he would have served admirably. And I can't read her mind, but I'll bet Liz Cheney would tell you the same thing. Um, you know, and, and Pelosi, she bucked the two worst and no reason to be there, the clown, Jim Jordan and Buck. So I, I get it, but, but I, I'm, I'm praising the good I can find in the Republican Pardon, you can find a lot worse than Rodney Davis. Jude Murphy, do you think uh, that Pelosi made a mistake by bouncing those two guys? No, I think she figured 
they were going to partisanize it anyway. Why give the clown standing? I mean, the smart thing right. for McCarthy would have done was to put five Rodney Davises there or even an articulate conservative critic and participated in it to to at least try to have some messaging in the flow. Instead, he, he put clowns on there, gave Pelosi the, coverage, the cover to make the clowns an issue, throw them off. And because she has Cheney and Kinzinger, she's locked and loaded. And they're going to do well now. I think McCarthy totally blundered it, but he's trapped as a Trump rubber stamp uh, into in doing stupid things, which, which is the motto of the Trump politics. Let me ask you guys something about that. A few days before he made the appointment, uh, McCarthy uh, was visiting with Trump in, in Bedminster. Is there any chance in the world that he didn't go over his strategy with Trump and, and pass his appointees to the committee uh, in front of Trump. In fact, you know, my sense is that Trump probably demanded that Jordan and Banks be on that uh, on that panel. I, I just think, you know, yeah, I wouldn't McCarthy's be surprised. a wholly owned subsidiary because he can't get to what he wants. He can't get to where he wants to without Trump, or at least that's the way he perceives it. I agree. Like Mike said, I don't think there's much chance at all that uh, Kevin McCarthy didn't clear his uh, appointees for the January 6th commission with Donald Trump. And um, Donald Trump probably complained about Rodney Davis being included on it. Uh, uh, I'm really sorry that Rodney Davis, somebody like him, didn't protest. And maybe he did privately, but I want to quote one of Mike's longtime clients and friends, the former Senator John McCain. These people are putting party over country. And McCain warned against that, and they're doing it. And this, that's, those three words explain Donald Trump's hold over the Republican Party. It's party over yeah. country. McCain would have quit the Senate and run for Congress just to get on the committee. <laughs> <laughs> One thing about Rodney Davis is it's not clear whether he's going to have a congressional district or what his congressional district is going to look like. That is... Um, still up in the air here. He's been talked about here in Illinois. He's been talked about as a statewide candidate. He's have he's going to have to walk a, a line, right? If he wants to be the nominee in a statewide race, he's got to get through a primary. This is Adam Kinzinger's problem here in Illinois too. He's in the same situation, but he's made a different choice. And I think an admirable choice. Uh, we'll see uh, where it leads, but uh, he's been unstinting uh, on this. There's a contrast between Kinzinger and Rodney Davis on how they've dealt with this. Again, I, I get it. And I'm a huge, I'm a friend and fan of Adam Kinzinger, but he's young and he could have a future political career in other places. Maybe Rod Davis will run statewide in Illinois. That's really hard. If he was a raving anti-Trumper and lost a primary, or if somehow he won, I still vote Dem doubt Democrats would vote for him in the general. He's making a calculus to survive in the Republican caucus and be a relative force for good there. So that that's like low on my problem list right now. It's the other 85% of that conference that's the real problem. Um, but yeah, I wish he'd spoke up. I'll bet he did privately, but he didn't publicly. But but to the point, let's get back to our core question here. Will this change a damn thing in six weeks after we go through the show, the committee? I think it'll be more effective than it would have been if the Republicans had played along reasonably. But I, I think everybody's so dug in now, maybe there'll be a slight erosion on the Republican side, which I would label progress. But I, I don't think it'll be earth-shaking in the long term. Anybody disagree? Yeah. I agree yeah. with you. What it will do is what, you know, there should have been a commission. Pelosi, McCarthy demanded 
certain things from her for a commission, you know, equal number of Republicans and Democrats, subpoena power for both, and so on. He got all that and then walked away from it, I suspect, because Trump didn't want uh, a commission. But it, hopefully it will serve the purpose that the commission uh, uh, would have served, or at least part of that purpose, and create a public record uh, that people can go to that really exposes exactly what happens that day, what people did. And by the way, it, you know, interesting development in that today, the Justice Department said they would not, uh, uh, they would not uh, claim executive privilege uh, for uh, Rosen, the former, the acting attorney general who was there during this period uh, after Bill Barr quit and apparently was the subject of quite a bit of hectoring from Trump about how he would handle the election. I mean, if the Justice Department doesn't um, claim immunity uh, or uh, from, uh, you know, or executive privilege for its people, there'll be some rich potential testimony there. So there's value in having a public record, but as a political matter, and that's what we do here, my my guess is it it will not uh, make much of a ripple. And that's a sad commentary. I agree with that. No, it's tragic. The franchise is at stake. And yet, you know, the nation yawns. Okay, then let's take a break right here and we'll be right back. All right, X, we love podcast here. I want to tell you about a new one that's joined our circle of esteemed sponsors. It's the Jordan Harbinger Show that we think will resonate with our hacker roos. Absolutely. Jordan Show, which Apple named one of the best of 2018, is aimed at making you better informed, a more critical thinker, so you can get a sense of how the world actually works and come to your own conclusions about what's happening even inside your own brain. He talks to everyone from neuroscientists to counterfeiters to astronauts, authors, thinkers, and performers. In one episode, Jordan talks to a hostage negotiator from the FBI who offers techniques on how to get people to like and trust you. You should do that, Murphy. Hey, I've got a seven-year-old daughter. I need all the tips I can get. I particularly like the John Brennan episode, former CIA director, and he talked about the future of the agency, uh, the future of CIA, and the future of U.S.-Middle East relations, and of course, the state of domestic terrorism. It was a great episode. And Neil deGrasse Tyson about embracing the unknown, and he's always good. Jordan's a good interviewer, has great guests, and focused on pulling useful, practical insights out of his subjects. So you're going to be a fan of this podcast. And hey, If that's not worth checking out, I'm not sure what is. We really enjoy this show and think you will as well. So check out jordanharbinger.com slash start for some episode recommendations or search for the Jordan Harbinger show. That's H-A-R-B as in boy, I-N as in Nancy, G-E-R on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen to your favorite podcasts. Okay, moving on to something that will have an impact. How's the president doing? Two months ago, the economy was roaring back, stock market on fire, unemployment rate dropping, real wages creeping up, COVID apparently to some in the rearview mirror, though there were still challenges with getting people to get vaccinated. Now we have surging Delta. We have a nervous economy. And Biden looks like he's being sucked into relitigating the stuff they were ready to take a victory lap on 90 days ago. Uh, how's the president doing politically? This hack wants to know. What do we think? Jackie, maybe you first, and then David, you can join in. 
I hate to go ahead of David. I'd like to hear what he says, but... I want to crib off you. Yeah, right. He's certainly not where he wanted to be right now, and uh, the Delta variant is a big cause because to the extent that the country not shut down, but to the extent it pulls back because of this variant, that affects the economy as well and consumer confidence and consumer spending. And so um, it's it's not a good place. I, I, I have to wonder whether we're not going to get to sort of a tipping point, though. We're seeing a little bit of an uptick. You know, the states with the highest rates of infection, hospitalizations, and death are are all red states and the states with the best vaccination rates and the least of those uh, other indicators are are blue states and i um but the the vaccination rates are the hot going up the most in the red states now and i i have to wonder if we're maybe at a tipping point as you see some of these you know they they hear about these stories and they're just awful and a lot of them are young people who are literally dying and whether this won't change things but the question is I, I you know i think it's it's not this pandemic is is not ending as we thought and there's another variant in the in the back uh in the backstage waiting to come forward if we're not all protected against it and you know and then on capitol hill these infrastructure one and infrastructure two packages that uh, that Biden wants are no closer to passage than they were five or six weeks ago. Uh, so when this, when this, so you no, know, uh, when he, you know, the great fanfare announced a bipartisan deal on one of them. So it's really up in the air right now. It's not a good place. The sure sign that things are changing relative to, uh, you know, at least attitudes of politicians and infotainment stars uh, on the viruses, you know, Sean Hannity suddenly telling people to take the vaccine. Fox is treating it mostly differently other than uh, Tucker, who's off on his own weird world, in his own weird world. Having been vaccinated, but anyway. Yeah, although he won't say that. Right. You see Governor Ivey in Alabama and others, you know, really a change of attitude about this. By the way, CDC today announced they're reinstating uh, mask requirements for people indoors, even if they've been in public places, even if they've been vaccinated. So that's a sign of seriousness. I think Jackie put her finger on it. If the economy, I mean, Biden has pitched his whole tent around the idea that he can get the economy moving again and get us back to normalcy. Um, you know, if that doesn't happen, that's problematic for him. And by the way, it's not just here. I mean, there's a piece today in one of the papers about global supply chains are once again being threatened. And that's really what people are feeling here at home. So yeah, this is a, a problematical thing. The the thing on the Hill, I don't know how to read. Jackie, you, you've spent a lot of time up there. You know, the Republican, I mean, the uh, bipartisan thing has hit a bunch of speed bumps. The stories this morning are sort of dark, but we kind of anticipated that this would be a bumpy road. And it's hard to tell where it's going to land. Murphy's had his bet all along on the fact that they'll get it done too big to fail. And I, you know, I think that's probably still the case. Though I've got a caveat. <laughs> it's all down right. to Biden now, just quickly. Uh, a footnote, though, you know what the biggest 
political Biden warning COVID thing I saw today, there is a terrible poll out in California, legitimate, nonpartisan, yes. independent polling deal Newsom. showing the Newsom recall, which had spluttered into into a, a weak state with Newsom favored to win based on, okay, he did a good job on COVID now, we've turned it all around, is spiking again. It's statistically tied, 47% recall. Um, without a superstar candidate, Larry Elder is now the clear front runner. The Caitlyn Jenner thing was never real in the voters' mind. But anyway, that is a that is a thud of a big canary falling off the perch if those numbers hold up, and that is a sign. I think the POTUS may have troubles. So what I would do if I work for Biden, I would suggest the following phone call this morning. Uh, and caveat: children, cover your ears. I'm going to do backstage <laughs> political talk now. I would have Joe call Schumer and say, fucking cave and get this infrastructure thing done for the economy and for me because I need it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Transportation funding. We'll worry about that next week and our big ridiculous thing that may or may not fit. But get this deal closed before the Republicans figure out they're putting a garbage uh, bag over my head and they're going to choke me out. Uh, we got to get it done. Stop quibbling. Because mm -hmm. Biden needs this thing. It would be very good for him, and he needs it now. And it is. David's right. It's teetering. They're squabbling, which sometimes is a sign of imminent final progress, final bids. But this, Biden's got to be the one to unjam this thing by, by making the Dems cave a little bit, and then he'll get it. And he's the biggest winner, and he needs a win. Yeah, much better to have a bipartisan vote on the first smaller package and yep. um, rather than add that whole amount into the second package, thus inflating the cost of the second. In the end, you spend the same, but it just is much more of a sticker shock if the Democrats with their own votes yep. pass a single bill. Well, you're also presuming, Jackie, that he's got 50 votes for that combined package, and that's not at all clear. Which is why I would bet against it. I don't know. I think if he gets out the pliers and turns Rochetti and Klain loose, uh, he'll get there because it's a pretty good bill if a lot of spending it and he'll get so no, much No, you're crap. talking about the infrastructure bill. Yeah, yeah. The the other big thing, which is Jackie says, some people might be telling him, hell, make that bigger. That I agree. That boat is still in dry dock with holes in the hull. That is a shaky bet. I mean, you, you sound like the left on, on some <laughs> of these issues. Tell me, comrade. You're... Uh, <laughs> I don't want to ruin your career. <laughs> oh, it's already ruined. But this idea that Biden has pliers that are big enough and effective enough that he can actually compel every Democrat to do everything that he wants, and he needs all 50 in the Senate, that's, that's bullshit. That's just not true. And everybody ought to sober up and recognize that. You if that were true, yes, uh, you know, you'd have a carve out perhaps for the uh, voting rights bill and so on. There is a variety of views in that Democratic caucus. And um, it's hard. It, it, you really not, think, though, in a game of chicken, they'd let, they'd let it fail, even if the president's personally twisting arms for it and said, look, let's have the fight over the big plan. I got it. But on this infrastructure thing, we got to win. I think that the easier one is the bipartisan plan. Right. I agree. I agree. So do it. There needs to be some assurance because you've got people both in the House and Senate who are sitting on this, they have to have the reason that Schumer is trying to move both bills along simultaneously is to give some assurance to uh, people who have a big investment in the bigger reconciliation Democrats only bill that that thing's going to move forward. But it's a delicate dance. And yeah, I think if you press people that you can pass that infrastructure bill, I don't think the issue is going to be on that one, the 50 Democrats, I think it's going to be, does the Republican piece hold together? 
Well, yeah, but don't don't give the Republicans reasons to run for the easy politics by quibbling over adding another thirty billion in transportation. You yeah. know, box them in, take a yes, and uh, force them to either be in or out. Well, yeah, because there are sharks all around on both sides who would like to kill the thing. Yeah, agreed. And you know, so you you know you you need to be cognizant of that. I don't think at the end of the day, I, I think everybody is in a negotiating entrepreneurial role here trying to squeeze everything they can out of it. And my guess is that they will. Um, we're doing role reversal here, Murphy, because when you and I, I guess Howard Wolfson said, this thing's going to go, there's no problem. It's going to, I said 50-50. I kind of go 51-49 now. I think it will go, but it's there's going to be a lot, you know, this can be a painful week and Biden needs it to go. Yeah, which is why Biden's got to engage and uh, the Dems are going to have to cave on a few things they're trying to chisel out at the end, which is a small price to pay for the win for Biden, which, by the way, if I was a left wing, you know, Democrat in the Senate, the argument that would resonate with me is give Biden this big win to make him politically more powerful to help us win the three point five trillion ridiculous spendathon later which the politics are going to be tricky on that too. So build up Biden, your tool, your screwdriver for the next fight. Yeah, because I think I think what's been missed is that he needs to do this. He needs the first piece in order to hold his 50 together on the second piece. He, you know, mansion, cinema. I, I think he needs, they need this victory or they want this victory as well. All right, let's take a minute to hear from one of our esteemed sponsors. You know, Axe, we don't get into enough trivia here on Hacks on Tap, diving deep into our fascinating personal lives. So I have a, <laughs> I have an old MTV. Don't get too deep. Style, <laughs> style. No, believe me. A style question for you. What do you sleep on? I sleep on about five milligrams. Oh, no, <laughs> I sleep on a Helix mattress. I mean, this is the God's honest truth. Helix became a sponsor of our podcast, and they offered to send me a mattress. And out of a sense of obligation, I said, yes. Turns out to be the greatest thing I ever did because the mattresses really, you know, they have a system whereby you can order a mattress that perfectly fits your needs. And I'm, I'm sleeping like a baby. And no, I don't mean waking up every two hours and crying these days. <laughs> but I'm boom. But, you know, Helix has a quiz that takes two minutes to complete and matches your body type and sleep preferences to the perfect mattress for you. So why would you buy a mattress made for someone else? With Helix, you're getting a mattress that you know will be perfect the way you sleep. And I can attest to that. Everybody's unique and Helix knows that. So they have several different mattress models to choose from. And Murphy, you got to do this. They have soft, medium and firm mattresses. Mattresses great for cooling you down if you sleep hot. Mattresses great for spinal alignment to prevent morning aches and pains and even a Helix Plus mattress for plus sized sleepers. I'm not saying which categories you fit in there, but brother, you need this mattress. You know, I've never heard you excited about anything at this level, and that includes Das Kapital. So I'm hearing you, brother. <laughs> I've got to get one of these things and try it out because everybody I know who sleeps on one rants and raves like you. So yeah, I'm going to check it out and I'm going to take that quiz because I love the idea of targeting a mattress to my needs and my sleeping style. So what should the good people do to meet the Helix people who have entered our circle of esteemed advertisers? How do they find out more? To get a Helix mattress, which was awarded the number one best overall mattress pick of 2020 and by GQ and Wired Magazine. Just go to helix.com slash hacks. Take their 
two-minute sleep quiz, and they'll match you to a customized mattress that will give you the best sleep of your life. They have a 10-year warranty, and you get to try it out for 100 nights risk-free. They'll even pick it up from you, Murphy, if you don't love it. But you will. Helix is now offering our listeners $200 off all wow. mattress orders and two free pillows. You can get a real pillow right here with that excellent Helix mattress. It's all there for our listeners. All you got to do is go to helixsleep.com slash hacks. Helix, H-E-L-I-X, sleep.com slash hacks. Don't sleep on this offer. <laughs> Jackie, just sticking on Biden for a second, you and I talked after that CNN town hall last week. You had a pretty harsh view of his performance there. And I agree that it wasn't a great performance. He can he has been outstanding in some of these town halls, partly because empathy is his superpower. He's got people in front of him with whom he can empathize. In this particular case, a lot of the questions sounded like they were written by reporters, not real people. And he wasn't particularly sharp. What was your analysis of that? Well, you're right. And But before I get to that, real quickly, I just as a journalist, not a hack, I want to get to Murphy for a point of clarification, um, just to make sure I understand you. When you've twice referred to Democrats should just accept what Republicans are offering on transportation, what you mean, I think, is more specifically for mass transit as opposed to transportation broadly, right? As, yeah, because, I mean, the, the, the framework... Because that's, that's always a point of contention. The Democrats want more for urban mass transit. And right, totally. Yeah, because it's the home team. So the Democrats right. are... It's already... There's more money for all that, billions more, but they're like for extra. And right. the suburban and rural Republicans are, no, we want the money to go into free tractor repair or something. And the, you know, people want stuff for the uh, Chicago mass transit authority so that there's a categorical fight over where money goes within the lump sum. My point is I would I would lose that fight to win the big right. war and to fight again with a stronger army if I were them. And this thing is fragile enough, you know, let's not let's not lose the Pacific War off one small skirmish off an island somewhere. The question about the island skirmish is in trying to hold his own troops together, you know, the mass transit piece is also connected to the climate piece. And so a lot of the climate stuff was removed from this bill. And this is a, this is a piece of that. So, you know, yeah. he's, I don't have, I don't envy Biden. This is a very yeah. complicated. Oh, it's a tight squeeze. It's just what's changing here every hour is the Republicans are looking at each other saying, this guy's in trouble on COVID. The foreign policy stuff could be a little wobbly. Why are we helping him? Why are we giving him the biggest bipartisan victory ever? And so every day the Republican glue is getting worse to try to get this thing done. And so he's got to decide, Biden does, is he going to pay the tax of getting it done? Because if he waits and haggles, I think it's going to fall apart. I think the Repubs won't get to 60 votes. And sure, Biden can blame them and Democratic partisans will say, okay, it's your fault. And all the Washington scorekeeping, we'll have a field day for weeks. But out in voter land, it's a failure. So COVID's turning into a mixed, any maybe a failure, and the big economic infrastructure plan that everybody's for in the polling is going to be a failure. And we all know the president has the big desk, lands on him or her. So if I were Biden, I would close it today. I asked Jack about this town hall meeting, and I don't want you to wriggle out by asking uh, Murphy <laughs> uh, uh, 
question, but by the way, luckily nobody saw it, so you're you're he's safe. But let me append a question, which is: if the economy sucks, that's a problem for Biden. How much does he bear? You know, he did have a big celebration on July fourth. Uh, he didn't have a. He was very clear not to put up a a uh, mission accomplished banner, but there was a feel of that. Now we're back in masks. Um, does he bear the blame for that? You think in voters' minds, or do you think that there's a recognition that there are a bunch of people out there who defiantly refuse to, including by the way, legislatures who have banned passports, uh, vaccine right. passports, and other stuff. I mean, do you think people blame Biden? I don't think so. Uh, but that's a good question, and it's you can't answer it definitively yet. I think to the extent that Republic, you know, but it, the answer will be as bifurcated and as polarized as every other political question in our country right now. I mean, just the for you know, as on a rational basis, the reason he shouldn't be blamed is like take the situation we have just this week in Missouri. The city of St. Louis reinstates COVID precautions, anti-COVID precautions, because the new rates of infection and hospitalizations are way up. And then the Missouri legislators, the Republican-dominated Missouri legislature, comes in to to veto that, to to make to join the parade of Republican state legislatures that are precluding local cities and from from protecting their public. Yeah, Murphy, get your people under control, will you? I'll send them a stiffly worded note. <laughs> and and but you know the thing that amazes you know I've been at this for so long and I grew up hearing Republicans talk about that the best government was the government closest to the people. But here in the year 2021, that doesn't apply if the government closest to the people is a city run by Democrats. All right. I've given up on you uh, talking about the, the Oh, Biden's hall. performance. <laughs> it's just... Well, again, only 300,000 in the demo tuned in, so it was an invisible town hall. I didn't see it, but what I is read is right? it was pretty bumpy. Yeah. Oh, uh, I mean, so. I don't want I I don't want to look like I'm evading. I thought Biden's performance was really subpar and he needs to do better than that. I think his still his sort of Uncle Joe, Grandpa Joe demeanor still is a winner for most Americans. His um approval rating is, you know, not great by historical standards, but pretty damn good by recent standards of presidents. And, and relatively uh, steady. Yeah, relatively steady. And I just think, though, that when he was, when he's that shaky, when he had a, a national audience, if even a small one, to make the case for his legislative agenda, he just didn't do very well. I, I don't disagree. I don't think it was a, I don't think it was a strong uh, performance on his part, but he does, his persona is very powerful. And that gets him a, a long way down the field. The, the word salads that night were not particularly tasty uh, or yeah. well organized. Yeah. So if only he had a big infrastructure win to dig out of it. <laughs> David, David, could you pass the word to the White House that he shouldn't say not a joke so many times? Yeah. If that were a drinking game, we all would have been plastered yeah. by the end of the uh, of the broadcast. The thing is, it's always after something like six hundred thousand people have died. Not a joke. It's like, no, I don't think there's any confusion about whether that's a joke or not. You don't have to clarify yeah. that. Let's take a minute to do an ad, and we'll be right back. I don't know about you, Axe, but uh, 
a lot of things make me nauseous. I can get car sick. I can get seasick. I can get politics sick. But I'm not alone. One out of three Americans regularly suffer from nausea. You know, it's that terrible feeling, and it just ruins your day because you don't want to do anything. You just sit there in pure misery. But now there's something you can do about it. Relief Band can make your life a lot better. Absolutely. You got to check out Relief Band. Relief Band is the number one FDA-cleared anti-nausea wristband that's been clinically proven to quickly relieve and effectively prevent nausea and vomiting associated with motion sickness, anxiety, migraines, hangovers, morning sickness, chemotherapy, and politics. Oh, no, they didn't list that, but I'm sure that's part of it. The product is 100% drug-free, non-drowsy, and provides all-natural, long-lasting relief with zero side effects for as long as needed. Technology was originally developed over 20 years ago in hospitals to relieve nausea from patients. But now, through Relief Band, it's available to everybody, to the masses. And it works with a really cool medical technology. It's neurological. What Relief Band does is stimulates a nerve in your wrist that travels to the part of your brain that controls nausea. Then it blocks the signal your brain is sending to your stomach, meaning that you feel sick. Again, if you suffer from car sickness, seasickness, hangovers. We won't get into any details yes, on that. Yes, I've been this there. This is Hacks on Tap. Anxiety and <laughs> pregnancy. For all those things, and for just peace of mind that you're not going to get nausea, you got to try out Relief Band to make your summer nausea free. Yeah, so as you're getting ready for that summer road trip, hopping on the boat or just anxious about heading back into the office, we've got good news. Right now, Relief Band has an exclusive offer just for Hacks on Tap listeners. If you go to reliefband.com and use promo code Hacks, you'll receive 20% off plus free shipping and a no question asked 30 day money back guarantee. So head to Relief Band. All right, here we go. Ken Murphy spell R E L I E F B like band A N D dot com. Yes. And use what's our magic promo code? Hacks for 20% off plus free shipping. According to Trump biographer Michael Wolf, who spent some time with Trump down at the Mar-a-Lago Elbow Retreat, says he's running again because yeah. revenge is what rules him. And I remember I tweeted, and wow, this I'm not sure, but this is a strong argument. And I think you retweeted me, David, of some snark. Uh, it wasn't about, snark. Uh, <laughs> it was respectful. It was a respectful counterpoint that why the hell wouldn't he run? So what do we think? Is Wolf right? And by the way, I just read Landslide. It's a lot of fun if you want to be a fly in the wall during the, uh, if, if you're a fan of the movie Downfall, you're going you're gonna to enjoy it. What do we think? Trump again? I'm still not sure, but David, what do you say? You know, he's about as, I've said this before, about as subtle as a fart in a spacesuit. He'll tell you what he's going to do. He, you know, barring an act of God or an act of uh, the wheels of justice turning against him here, I think he, he is going to run. I mean, I think he'd say it anyway because it's a big money maker for him. He's raising a bunch of dough under false pretenses and sticking it in his pocket. And that's something he always enjoys. But I think he's going to run. I think it's a big problem, Mike, for your party because he'd go in, I think, as the you know strong favorite to be the nominee. Oh, look, I, I've always thought he's going to act like he's going to run because why not? Center of the universe, get the media right. attention, ego. The question is, does he ultimately run? And I think the world in 18 to 20 months may be very different than what we're in now. We don't know. We're going to find out. But he's a problem whether he runs or not because he's the gravity field right now, which means we have damn little chance of getting the suburbs back. Although we always have the 
the Clarence the Angel that will save the Republican Party, which is the Democrats and their propensity for overreach. And, you know, we'll see what happens. But uh, I, Wolf makes the best argument, which is pure revenge yeah. score settling. Though I, I'll say there's a corollary to that, which is Trump possessed by revenge is not the best Trump as a candidate. You know, it, it'll be boring. It's like when he went to uh, Anthony Gonzalez's district up in northern Ohio to endorse the primary opponent to uh, Gonzalez, who worked in the Trump White House, and he gave kind of a rambling, nothing burger speech all about his enemies list. So I'm not sure revenge-driven Trump is a improved, more formidable Trump, should he run. But yeah, there's a great chance he will, at least as of today. You must have been sad when you saw... George P. Bush. I know how, how uh, you feel about Jeb, and I like him as well as a person, uh, but his son, he paid the toll that he thought he needed to pay to participate in Texas politics. He's running for attorney general against a, uh, a lunatic, in my view, uh, Ken Paxson, the, the incumbent mm-hmm. who was the author of the lawsuit Trump wanted challenging the election, but also is under investigation himself. And George P. went down in early July and communed with Trump and tweeted out a big tribute to Trump and was rewarded yesterday by Trump endorsing Paxson in a primary against George P. What a high price to pay to be humiliated by Trump. I had two thoughts about it. Politically, I thought it was incredibly stupid because, one, Trump's still going to screw you in the end. As has been proven, you were right As he about did. That. And two, it makes a contest out of it. So now it's cat bites dog because, oh, I thought of all the suck uppery, he'd go with George P. Instead, he went the, now, now George P. is actually engaged in a fight and lost. So double stupid. As far as the rest of it, Jeb's my friend. It's his son. Not something I like to publicly talk about, but my, my view of it is very Shakespearean, as is patently obvious if you look at what happened. And uh, it is, uh, it is, it is the reality of Trump, and I thought George P. would have known that. And second, I'm a little surprised at that cynicism, uh, but I guess that's the coin of the realm now in Texas or most Republican primaries. Yeah, it was pointed out on TV this morning, you know, and you remember because you were involved in all of that, the exchange between uh, Jeb Bush and Donald Trump when Donald Trump was really sliming Jeb's wife and George P.'s mother in kind of racist terms. Yeah, yeah, no, it's terrible. Terms. It's terrible. It was one of the first indications. And let me say for Jeb, there were two guys at the beginning who called Trump out in the party fearlessly. One was Jeb Bush early and often when everybody else in the primary in 16 were in suck up mode. And the other was Lindsey Graham, which is another Shakespearean uh, yeah. story. So I'm personally offering to buy my friend George P. a free ticket to Wyoming to go to Liz Cheney re-education camp <laughs> because I think there could be still hope after this character building experience. Well, let me ask you guys a question about Liz Cheney. She raised a boatload of money last quarter, like almost $2 million. She's got a big treasure trove to run on, but she's not popular among Republicans because of her fight with Trump, and she's counting on a very large field to win a plurality. In fact, she beat back a move by the Trumpies in the legislature to turn it into a runoff situation because she couldn't win a runoff. She needs a big field. Yeah. Doesn't she, Murphy? Yeah. She won the first time for plurality, around 39, I think, percent of the vote. And I think Trump today and tomorrow is having this uh, this kangaroo court at Westminster, New Jersey, or Bedminster, whatever the hell is country club that I will <laughs> never set foot it's in. a long is, way uh, from West- Westminster. 
Yeah, well, yeah, a very long way. Um, but anyway, <laughs> so they're kneeling right now. There are like two or three of them. I'm the real Trumper. No, I'm the, and Trump's got his scepter and he's going to pick somebody. And the Trump theory is the whole world will line up behind. But remember about Wyoming, it's a small state, so the money is not a superpower. They're all going to have enough money. It's like what hurts more to have one piano dropped on your head or three? They're all going <laughs> to have a piano. She'll have 11, but they're all going to have that. But it's not a state of a big dominant city. It's spread around. So you're going to have people of bases locally. And there's going to be somebody in one place who says, I'm the real Trumper, but Trump didn't pick me. Well, bullshit. I'm not going to give up. That other guy's an idiot. I knew him in the legislature. I'm going to convince him I'm the real Trumper. So getting people out when they see somebody vulnerable like Liz is really, really hard. Getting the little fish out is easy, but who cares? As long as she has two real Trumpers in a blood fest, I'm hiring Corey Leandowski. I'm hiring Brad Pascal. I've got red hats. I've got, you know, red pants. And even with Trump endorsing one, the other may not automatically get out if they've got a local base in a region of the state, which a couple of these jokers do. And uh, then then she's in business because I think in a, in a real three-way, I think she can still prevail. So I'm not counting her out at all. And that Cheney name and brand there, it's not getting her to 50 in a primary, but boy, oh boy, I think she's going to hold a third or a little more depending on what else happens. So open question. If toughness matters, yeah, yeah. Uh, she's going to do very, very well. I mean, uh, I said the other day, you know, you could throw a dart against a wall of issues and, and be sure, pretty sure to hit one on which she and I disagree. But I really admire uh, her for, uh, you know, because she's done what politicians rarely do. She's actually put herself at risk and, and not just political risk, but personal risk. David, if you're willing to fly to the district and endorse one of her opponents, let's talk. Yes. Because in the primary, we could, <laughs> we could, you could, you could be very helpful. By the way, Texas uh, has a, another one of these Trump laboratory tests. There's a runoff. Yeah. Um, Today. Where Ron Wright, who sadly and uh, died of COVID in February, his wife is doing what we call in politics the widow's walk, and she was in front, but there's a state rep who's given her hell of a race, made the runoff, who's outraised her three to one. And he's Military supported by guy. the former governor, Rick Perry, Jake uh, Elzey. So that could, and Trump is all in for right. So this yeah. could be an interesting one where the candidate would normally have the advantage and has Trump could still lose, which yeah. I think would send a signal through Republican inside world that maybe the Trump death ray ain't what it used to be. Yeah. You got another one next week in Ohio too, uh, so oh, yeah. Steve Stevers resigned to run the chamber of commerce. And there's a, Trumpy uh, running against a candidate that Stevers is, who's more of a conventional Republican endorsed. So we're going to have a couple of tests. Also, uh, next week in Ohio is that primary in Cleveland, in the Cleveland area. Yeah, this one's great. Nina Turner, who is a candidate of the left, and Chantel Brown, a more moderate moderate candidate. Interestingly, the Congressional Black Caucus has lined up behind Brown. Yes, yeah, so has Jim Clyburn. Yes. And Nina, to her credit or deficit, depending on how you think, is like not only a Bernie person. I mean, Trotsky would say, wow, now that's a progressive. I'm a little scared. Uh, and she was the big front runner. She had like a 30-point lead. Now it's like a three-point race. I think Brown's going to upset there. Yeah. You know, uh, interestingly, she, she was endorsed, though, by the uh, Cleveland Plain Dealer and others uh, on the basis of her stand on on uh, for school reform, yeah. Uh, when she was a state senator, so that's an interesting 
twist. But that's going to be looked at it maybe more than it should, but that's going to be looked at for clues as to where the National Party. Yeah, it's going to be uh, like the New York City mayor's race, maybe a little bit overanalyzed. But both AOC and Bernie are going in big and strong for Turner, while James Clyburn is going in big and strong for Brown. So both African-American candidates, it's an African-American majority district, though it does include parts of Shaker Heights. Israel's become an issue because of controversial statements in the past. The country, not Steve, we should point out. I know he was here last week. (laughs) Yeah, no, no. Wasn't he great the other week? Yeah, He's a a great hack. But anyway, so this thing is, and there's tremendous outside money running in um, because it's going to send a big signal Team Bernie versus Team Biden, even though Biden's not involved. She was a critic of Biden in the uh, primary. We'll be keeping an eye on that stuff, but we have uh, clamoring for wisdom from our mailbag people. Now, if you, Hackaroos, have a mailbag question or a comment or an insult or anything you want to send us, we have an email address, hacksontap at gmail.com. It's true. We're part of the big tech conspiracy here. Hacksontap at gmail.com. Send us your question. We'll check it out and maybe read it on the air. So question number one is for the esteemed Mr. Axelrod. It comes from Tyler. So cool they named a city in Texas after him. And Tyler writes, Axe, given your vast experience in democratic politics. They named a tool after me, but anyway, go ahead. (laughs) Centuries of experience in democratic politics. I'm curious why you think Senator Kirsten Sinema tacks so hard to the middle when her Senate partner, Mark Kelly, does not. While polling there in Arizona suggests Kelly is more popular in the state, even though he's taken numerous stances to cinema's left. Can you please explain all this? So, Tyler, listen, Kirsten Cinema loves to poke the left in the eye. She thinks it helps her uh, politically. She was very she made a very flamboyant vote against raising the minimum wage uh, earlier this year that drove God everyone nuts. She's right in the middle of this uh, bipartisan infrastructure discussion. She's opposed to uh, the filibuster change. Uh, so, uh, but to conclude that Kelly is somehow a left uh, politician is a mistake, and it misreads politics in Arizona. If I was there during that campaign, he ran a campaign that was dis- decidedly uh, moderate in tone, and I think he is moderate in in, in habit. Uh, he ran a campaign about country over party, stressed his military service. Um, you know, there's no doubt he is solidly in, you know, progressive, but he is, he is pragmatic. And, uh, you know, I think they're both, it, both of them recognize the state, which is a swing state dominated by Maricopa County, which is largely a suburban, uh, county, uh, where, with moderate voters. Uh, and, uh, and you have to be able to appeal across party lines. So, you know, I wouldn't, separate one from the other, uh, the, the, the difference is not that dramatic. He has a very moderate tone and style, which is part of the package. Well, a lifetime in the military, the astronaut thing and so on. Yeah, it's McCainian. He's echoes of the senator they all knew well. Jackie, we, we have a tough question for you, but an important one from Chris. Chris writes, as someone who knows politics only from the outside, I have always wondered what makes one politician more powerful than another within their own party. Why do Pelosi, McCarthy, Schumer, and McConnell have rank and others don't? So leadership politics, unwrap that one. 
Well, I know this will sound weird, but I love congressional leadership politics. And when I first started covering Congress in 1984, um, I, I, studied up on the history because past decades there had been some good ones in, that involved people like Gerald Ford, who would later be president. Um, and in 86, there was a fabulous insider Democratic um, uh, leadership race that was just a real temp. And this is why I love them. There were six candidates for this Democrat House Democratic leadership race, and each of the candidates represented a not just a faction of the House, but a faction of the party writ broadly. And it told you where the party was in this late Reagan administration period of our politics. Um, so come all the changes in our politics up to the present Trump era and post-Trump era, the one thing that's still pretty much the same are leadership politics in Congress, and that is an inside game. That's why you have somebody like Mitch McConnell in the Senate. Mitch McConnell could never win a national election, I would say. But he's the perfect fair. Yeah. He's the perfect, you know, uh candidate for an insider uh congressional leadership race. What he did from the time he came to Congress in nineteen eighty five to the Senate is he steeped himself in insider Senate business down to the little perks that senators get. And he that's why he's on the Senate Rules Committee, which determines things like that. And he um he, and that's why he carved out such a place for uh, opposing any um, limits on campaign finance. And that was his biggest issue. And so, um, and Pelosi, I mean, Pelosi is, I think, perhaps the best speaker in U.S. history. But she, she too would never, I don't think, win a national election. But she, I, I came, up, clear, yeah. she came up through the ranks and she... Um, catered to her members and to each faction of the party. She's a, yes, she's a liberal from San Francisco, but her inside politics don't reflect that. She is very supportive of her moderates and the people that are in vulnerable districts. And so that's all I'll say about that's how people like, and a bumbler like Schumer, again, Schumer would never win national <laughs> election. But, you know, again, that's why you gotta love, you gotta love these politics because it puts these people in uh, positions of power that are so that they can sit down with presidents of both parties and deal. Yeah, it's the world's biggest high school class president election with secret yeah. ballots too, which he yeah. had another. Dole once famously joked when he lost a committee vote. I don't know. It, he lost it like, you know, 12 to 6. I don't know. I had 18 firm commitments. <laughs> yeah. An election yeah. of politicians. All right, last question. You got anything for me there, Dr. Axelrod? This is a simple question here, Murphy. After listening to Steve Israel in a recent podcast, my question is, is it best to contribute money to the DCCC, the party fundraising organization for congressional candidates, or to pick individual candidates to contribute to? Well, I'll tell you, I'm, my, I'm, I'm getting an instant migraine because it's not my business normally to advise Democratic donors, but these are trying times. So what I would do is use that thing the kids love called the internet. I would check out Larry Sabato's Crystal Ball Report, the Cook Political Report, which is excellent, Stu Rothenberg, some of the great handicappers, and read up because there are only two dozen congressional races that normally count. They've all got websites. Put your money into, into those places and give them, give them hard dollars, your money, at the campaign committee first. But when in doubt, you have a little extra, fine to give to the D-Trip. There's kind of a layer of overhead, but they're the official committee. Can't go wrong with giving to both. But do the work to pick a few races. There are also bundling organizations that do lists. But you, you can do your own research and have a little fun. We're 
out of time here. But a plug, I think, for the great book, right? Are we forgetting our plugs here? <laughs> Was that your transition? Did I screw it up? No, I want to commend to everyone Dissent, the Radicalization of the Republican Party and its capture of the court. If you really want to know how we got here, and Jackie, just a final word before we go. Have you been surprised by Kavanaugh on the bench? And um, what say you about the future of the court, given the fact that the Republican Party has been so successful in uh, populating it? I haven't really been surprised by him. He's been every bit as conservative as he'd given us reason to expect he would be. But he's also um, a bit of a, speaking of hacks, his background is as something of a political hack. And so he has shown, along with the Chief Justice John Roberts, a sort of sensitivity to the American mainstream that he doesn't, by his some of his votes and his writings, doesn't, you know, sides with Chief Justice John Roberts and sometimes Amy Coney Barrett to to um, not go as far as the far right. And that includes Justices Sam Alito and Neil Gorsuch uh, and Clarence Thomas would like to go. So I think it's because they're more of an incrementalist. But make no mistake, Kavanaugh wants to be in the end at the same place that Sam Alito wants to be. And um, so it's just a matter of time. And he also came out of politics in a way the others uh, exactly. Did that's not. why. I, that's why I, with all fondness, use the word hack to describe him. Oh, I'll defend him. I'm I. I like Sam Alito, and I will say Kavanaugh, according to Landslide Wolf's new book, and I'm I'm reading Rucker and, and Carroll's too, is at the top of the current Trump enemy list for showing loyalty to the Constitution, not to the madman uh, in Marlago. Now, one last plug here. Galactic News. Get ready. A new newsletter has been launched called the Hacks on Tap newsletter. Twice a week, it's free in your inbox. Gibbs and I write it because Axelrod is busy opening car dealerships and off on other adventures. But it gives you our inside take, some of the themes you hear on this show. But some other stuff, too, a lot of tidbits. There's a new episode out today. You can subscribe again free. Uh, it comes right in your inbox twice a week. All you got to do to read it or subscribe or both is go to hacksontap.bulletin.com. Hacksontap.bulletin.com. I want to put a plug in for a 2019 pre-owned Ford Escape. And <laughs> you can contact me on that. Thank you, Jackie. Great to be with you. Thank you. So as we go out, let us listen to the remarks of Representative Adam Kinzinger, one of the two Republicans who agreed to serve on this select committee as he addressed the officers who testified to the ordeal of January 6th. Mr. Chairman, and uh, thank you to my colleagues on the committee. Thank you to our witnesses. Uh, I never expected a day to be <clears throat> quite as emotional for me as it has been. Uh, I've talked to a number of you and gotten to know you. I think it's important to tell you right now, though, you guys may like individually feel a little broken. You guys all talk about the effects you have to deal with. And, you know, you talk about the impact of that day. But you guys won. You guys held. You know, democracies are not defined by our bad days. We're defined by how we come back from bad days, how we take accountability for that. And for all the overheated rhetoric surrounding this committee, our mission is very simple. 
Let's define the truth and it's to ensure accountability. 